Hello, I'm Jonathan Mast, and welcome to this edition of the Cedric Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about escape of water claims, or EOW, as it's known in the industry. And we've got two of our leading experts here to talk with us. Ian McLennan, Director, Head of Commercial Repair Solutions for Cedric, and A.D. Hall, Client Director for Cedric. Gentlemen, thank you both for being with us today. Hi, good afternoon, Jonathan. Well, I know that if for your segment, obviously people know what EOW is, but we, we have a lot of people that listen each week that might not know about escape of water claims and why it's important. Uh, and so that kind of leads into our first question. Uh, we'll start with you, Ian, is uh, how do escape of water claims impact housing associations? And, and then just give us a brief overview of EOW, and then we'll go over to you, Aidy. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. So, escape of water, um, obviously, shortened to EOW in, in the UK claims industry, it's really the, the escape of water from any plumbing apparatus. So, um, we're talking mainly uh, showers, for housing associations especially, showers, toilets, heating pipes, uh, cold water supply pipes to sinks, uh, toilets, bathrooms. So, these are the things that regularly leak and to to some extent or other can, can damage the, the fabric of the of the property. So we're talking about plaster walls, plaster ceilings, uh, floors, internal doors, internal skirtings, internal finishes, kitchens, bathrooms. So when we talk about escape of waters, especially for housing associations, it is one of the, the main claims that we would we would come across on a daily basis. And my my role within the company is to run the the building, building aspect of our uh, uh, repair services, and we provide the repair option to our clients, housing associations, and local councils. Aidy? Yeah, thank you, guys. Yeah, I'm Aidy Hall, the client director for the public sector team uh, within Sedgwick, so I work very closely with Ian and his colleagues in ensuring that all our public sector clients, not just housing associations, because many local authorities, councils also have responsibility for housing stock as well, and it very much applies to them. Uh, I think the, the headline thing here for me is that, you know, the recent ABI figures that came out in relation to escape of water claims, they're tracking nearly nearly 2 million, uh, 1.8 million's worth of claims are reported every day. Uh, and that excludes, obviously, the claims that aren't reported. So... Uh, you could probably add some on for that as well. So we're talking big, big numbers here for the market. Uh, it's been an ongoing issue as far as long as I can remember. I've been in the insurance world most of my adult life, and for the last 20 years, involved in public sector, with, uh, involved with public sector organisations. And there's no doubt about it. Escape of water claims is one of the major perils that sits on their claims experience. Alongside fire and floods, but they tend to be uh, bigger events that don't happen as often, but certainly in, in escape of VOW claims, escape of water claims, uh, it's, it's the purge, it's, of, it's the scourge, sorry, of their claims experience. Uh, spikes also have increased significantly uh, since 2020. And whether that's a coincidence or not, that's very much in line with when most of the UK went down into lockdown in relation to COVID. So 
So one of the thoughts is there was probably more people, or there definitely was more people at home, and they were either noticing these small leaks uh, that hadn't been monitored before, they didn't even know they were there, and some of them, bless them, were even trying to look at their own DIY, uh, trying to fix it themselves, uh, and unfortunately the D in DIY became destroy it yourself instead of do it yourself. So that led to many more claims, accidental damage claims as well. So Ian mentioned earlier about uh, the apparatus that are included for, for, burst, uh, for burst pipe claims, escape of water claims, which could be you know anything basically that, that links to water. But one of the other things that many housing associations and certainly many uh, local authorities, especially those that have leaseholder policies as well, will be very conscious that if there's an apartment, i.e. multi-storey residentials, uh, it just doesn't stop at one one apartment sometimes. Sometimes these, these, these claims are of huge size because numerous uh, properties have been affected by the drip effect going down one property and sometimes two. So it, it, it's a big issue. Uh, the nut hasn't been cracked yet on how to deal with these, but one thing is for certain is some of the organisations are now beginning to feel it with their insurance premiums. But it's not just the insurance premiums either, is it, Ian? There's, there's lots of other stuff as well that, that falls into this. Yeah, it's a good point, Ian, about COVID. COVID changed everyone's life to some extent or other, um, and it lasted a lot longer than, than we thought it was in the UK specifically. I know it affected different countries around the world differently, but in the UK, our government imposed three separate lockdowns. Um, the first lockdown lasted from March 2022 to the end of uh, October. There was another small lockdown that took us up towards Christmas of 30 days roughly. And then there was a third lockdown that took us right through to the summer of uh, 2021. So we were, we were locked down on and off for, for long, long periods. And one of the things that happened from that was maybe makes a, a good point that the housing associations and councils couldn't, in various restrictions, couldn't send their staff out to check properties. So if properties were, were leaking, what happened was that they, they continued to leak um, and they weren't, they weren't actually identified early, early on. Um, so there was a lot more damage arose from, from, um, from those type of incidents. And that, to some extent, is still, still ongoing because people's working patterns have changed. People work from home quite a lot more now. There's not the same rigour, I would say, in terms of people being in the office and following the structure of, of you know, um, visits to site that there probably was before COVID. We do to another point of alternative accommodation. There's a lot less rental accommodation around now. Um, you know, there's a number of social factors that feed into this. There's, you know, the population is ageing. Um, the population in the UK is, is getting older, so what inevitably happens there is there's more single people uh, uh, occupying properties. There's also quite a high uh, net migration figure into the UK. I think it was 800,000 last year more coming into the UK than left the UK. So all these people need somewhere to live. And it pushes the, the rental market up, especially around London. Rent increases are spiraling and, and tenant, uh, sorry, landlords have been more selective in respect of who really into the properties, this obviously leads to higher alternative accommodation costs whenever we have to put 
took people up who, who, whose properties have been damaged to the extent they can't live in them. So all this feeds into higher costs for our clients, higher costs, costs for the insurers. Leading into this, the cost of materials are also up. Uh, we, we calculate 25% between 2021 and 2022. Inflation is still high as we've gone to 2023. There's a number of factors that went into this. Uh, we all remember the Suez. We might remember more in Europe than we might in the US, but the Suez was blocked by a ship which turned sideways and, and, and blocked the whole Suez Canal, which meant that goods could not travel from Asia into Europe. This caused a huge blockage in, in the movement of goods. COVID also can, contributed to that. So the cost of materials went up and is still rising in, in, U, in the UK and the rest of Europe. Rebuilds costs were up 19% in the, in the same period. Eddie, you could probably come back in on clean eviction management. That, this is something that you've probably seen in your, in your days yes. in the public sector. Thanks, Ian. And, and many of the clients listening to this will be familiar with this you know all those things that we've spoken about already it's also not uncommon that once a, lo- a housing association or a local authority has finally reached the end of the road with the tenant i.e done everything that they can do to keep them in them home uh, when eviction is necessary unfortunately it's not uncommon for a, a disgruntled evicted tenant uh, to leave the housing association or the local authority with a parting gift of either leaving a, a running tap uh, overflowing in a bath or a sink. Uh, unfortunately, some have uh, set a house on fire as well. Uh, my point is all these things all sit on the claims experience, which ultimately finds its way to uh, the insurance premiums. Well, thanks for the, the great overview. Uh, if you both want to weigh in on, this, on the next question, what can a housing association expect if their claims experience is poor in relation to these types of claims? And whoever wants to go first, go ahead. Yeah, I'll go first with that. Thanks, Jonathan. Uh, it could be a number of things, really, uh, from higher deductibles or excesses, depending on the size of them. Many insurance companies now have higher excesses, higher excesses specifically for escape of water claims. You might have them different from all the other insurance perils, but higher uh, usually 100 or 200 pound for most household policies, and these are very similar. Uh, just to try and claw some of the money back, or to focus the mind a little bit for the tenants to to let them know that if if this does happen, uh, you might have to pay a little bit more. So with the hope that general maintenance will be stayed on top on. Certainly higher premiums. A lot of a lot of the business that we're talking about have a common renewal date. Not all, but very common renewal date of the first of April, uh, mainly because that's the close off and the start of the new financial year in the UK. And you know, I've been through many many spikes and peaks, as we call them, uh, over the years around April time. Uh, but it's fair to say that this year's speaking to many of my friends and colleagues that still work at insurance companies or brokers this year, certainly for housing associations or housing stock, has been one of the worst. Uh, Not just because insurers are trying to claw back some of the money that they constantly lose in year on year. It's a pound swapping exercise at best for these kind of claims. But more importantly, there's been some markets, some insurers that have literally pulled out of this kind of cover. Or these kind of risks, 
or a certain subsegment within within the housing associations, which causes even more even more problems. And as you know, the money that we're dealing with tends to be public money or not-for-profit money that's reinvested back into the business. So any impacts uh, on budgets, whether that's coming from a risk management fund or, a, or an insurance premium, has huge ramifications across all the other departments as well. They might not have planned for it. They might not have budgeted it. You know, insurers will, will try to be as flexible as they can when it comes to premiums, uh, but they've still got... You know, they've still got a job to do. They've got to earn money. Profits shouldn't be a dirty word in the insurance world because if there wasn't profit, they won't be able to pay claims and reinvest in, in other technologies. So, you know, your worst case scenario is these higher premiums are taking money away from other departments which are already pushed and, and strapped for cash as such in, in the first place. There's been a couple of instances also where some insurers have had to ad hocly remove cover altogether, either for escape of water claims or flood if if if, if an organisation's housing stock is situated near or close to a river. So they've had to look for completely uh, different ways or in worst case scenario is self-insuring these kind of risks which again has the same impact on their budgets uh, as, I, as I mentioned earlier. And, and, and also Let's not hide the fact that because they are public entities, angry tenants will complain uh, very quickly and usually speak to the media. Often it's, it's the local press, but sometimes some of these claims do find their way more nationally, which impacts the reputation of these organisations. From my experience, there's always two sides to the story, and very, you know, very, on, very occasionally the insurers have dealt with a claim poorly, but usually it's a different story. But either way, the story's out there and their reputation's broken and they've got a lot of work to come up with it. I think, Ian, you, you mentioned the labour costs early, that increasing. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, can, I, can, you know, I can totally agree in the terms of the reputation. We, we see it quite often in the British press that you know, a tenant will claim that the landlord has completely... Um, ignored them and they'll have mushrooms growing out of their ceiling or they'll have damp patches in their bathrooms or in their in their living rooms and they'll and they'll you know they will certainly put across the opinion that the landlord has not supported them. We often see the, the other side of this in that and there's many different reasons for it and it's not a question of blame here. But it's a question of you know, fairness, and often the our you know social housing clients and insurers are, are trying their best to help people who are in some instances not really able to help themselves. So one big example of this is, is trying clothes inside without windows open, it causes condensation, it causes mould, it causes it causes damage to the buildings. Our our clients and you know housing associations in general cannot stop people drying their clothes inside, they just can't. So, you know, a lot of times when you see these representations in the press of people, you know, claiming to be ill or claiming to be, you know, badly let down by the housing association, if you actually looked at the file itself, you would see that the housing association on numerous occasions has tried to access the property, tried to undertake works, tried to, to help. Don't get me wrong, the housing associations aren't perfect either, but I think from what I've seen, 
there's often uh, a sort of imbalance in the press in terms of reporting these as you know bigger uh, you know sort of um, you know sort of dereliction of duty than, than, than is the case, and that leads on to to, to the point you know, the next point that I wanted to talk about, which was disrepair claims. Disrepair claims is a UK legislation um, that is meant again in you know in, in all the best ways to protect tenants from rogue landlords who don't undertake repairs to properties in a timely fashion. So not only does it uh, enforce the you know a legal obligation on on the the landlord to undertake the repair, it also provides damages to the tenant. So these are a, a punitive damage against the landlord which is paid to the tenant directly. So it could be seven and a half, could be ten thousand, could be fifteen thousand pounds, depending on the severity of the damage. And what this leads to is we'll probably all see with, you know, um, posters around the US and UK for flips and trips and uh, car accidents where unscrupulous solicitors look to what we call in the UK claim farm, which means they're, they're looking for people to make claims against the landlords, often you know, with not much uh, backing to it, but they're looking for people to make these claims. And it's definitely growing, growing in the UK. Uh, it's potential fraud, potential for people to make a lot of money. It, we actually had a very interesting um, anomaly, you could call it, in the UK 2015-2016, where people were going, people in the UK like to, to go to, to Spain or, or Turkey or these type of hot European countries, much like people in the north of the US might go down to Miami or, or the Caribbean islands. What was happening at that point was that people were claiming that they were being given food poisoning by the all-inclusive resorts. And it's a very similar bandwagon that people jumped on. They were actually getting the holidays paid and they were getting ten, fifteen thousand pounds in compensation. And it it strikes me as a very similar uh, you know, sort of category of a of a of a catalogue of events as, as what's happening with this repair. The way that we shut that down in 2015, 2016 was that we actually took a couple of these people to court and proved that they were fraudulently, uh, you know, exaggerating their, their, their food poisoning. And the, one of the, one of the unfortunate couples towards the end of this uh, this sort of state of claims was actually jailed for 15 months. Now I'm not suggesting in any ways that you know any of our disrepair tenants are, are heading that way, but it's certainly a uh, it's certainly, I don't know what you think, Eddie, but it's, it's gathering momentum in this repair aspect of, of housing associations and councils. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and there's conversations that I hear on a too often basis of unscrupulous solicitors targeting well-known housing estates, whether that's local authority estates or housing association uh, estates, and literally door-knocking now, encouraging people to make these kind of claims. And as you say, yes, there is a lot of money to be made, but very little of that finds its way to the tenants. Uh, unfortunately, for the genuine claims also, it means that some, cl- some claims may be slowed down slightly while we uh, make sure that there are no red flags on any of these claims. Yeah. So, And I think, obviously, yeah, it leads back into the fact that any claim... You know, that, that, that makes its way through to an insurance claim is going to have these higher material and labour costs 
in terms of accommodation costs attraction. So the, the question is, what, what kind of HA, what sort of kind of housing association expected the claims experience is poor? It's really going to ramp up the, the costs that sit against their, their policy. Yeah. So there are no winners in in this respect, which probably would lead us on to the last question. Yeah, great, great explanation there. And, and so I think that leads us uh, to how can a housing association manager, or I'm sorry, start over. That was a great explanation. Uh, and as we look at the, the last piece here, how can a housing association manage or mitigate escape of water claims? Oh, good question, Jonathan. And I think the obvious thing is is to either ramp up, certainly continue, or look at their own in, inspection maintenance regimes. Uh, you can get a lot of trends from the data, from, from the claims experience that you're having to escape of water claims, not just how many you're having and how much, how much insurers are paying. But once you start interrogating your own data, you can look for the trends, i.e., is it faulty workmanship? If so, is it the same uh, builder or the same plumber that we're using on a block, uh, whether they've used either the wrong materials? Uh, and if that's the case, then there is uh, a, a potential recovery in place there from their public liability insurance. Did we, did that plumber or if, if, you've, if they've got their own direct labor organization, are they using some faulty parts? Are the parts that they're using now uh, still fit for purpose? Technology changes, materials change all the time, ways of working change all the time. Smart homes are becoming more and more popular uh, within houses and insurers are encouraging those as well. So, But the inspection maintenance regimes is the absolute crucial one. And that is, you know, whatever the times, making sure particularly on the older properties or particularly on the properties that have been or are susceptible to these kind of claims is make sure that you've got boots on the ground and you've got people just visiting, quick knock on the door, just here to check your pipes, everything's okay. Sometimes that can make a difference. Sometimes it's the difference between catching it early. And another thing uh, our clients can do, you know, we mentioned earlier on how it impacts the budget is really to stay on top of their own claims experience. And if they do see peaks and troughs in relation to escape of water claims, stay in touch with your insurers and your brokers uh, and the loss adjusters that you have uh, arrangements with as well. Because what you don't want is, is, is any shocks and surprises a few months before your renewal to find out that you're pre going up. And in the wider budgeting sense, which is usually closed off you know, three, six months way in advance of the insurance renewal for obvious reasons. You don't want to be going to your chief financial officer asking for more money because you, you didn't see this one coming. So have regular updates, have regular meetings. Many of the insurers who offer this kind of cover will offer support in relation to risk management advice, uh, surveying assistance, all of that stuff. So make the most of it. But to me, one of the key things that, that you can do is just look at the data that's in front of you and look for trends. Once you start digging and once you start looking, uh, certain things will jump out and they could be headed off at the pass fairly quickly. 
Yeah, I, I agree, Dean. I think one of the points you made there about early notification of claims. We we just went through a a winter surge in the UK, um, which was caused by cold weather, December 22. Thousands of claims for um, escape of water caused by frozen pipes. So basically, the old Victorian way of building properties in the UK was you have copper pipes. Um, most now are, are plastic pipes, but regardless of the pipe's construction, the, the water freezes in the pipe, the pipe expands, Pipe cracks when the water thaws in the pipe. We have significant escape of waters. We have significant damage to properties. And the difference between getting in quickly and getting these properties dry quickly, and the difference between leaving them for a longer period of time, is significant. If you think about it, mid-December 2022, a pipe uh, expands. A burst and causes damage to property. We really want to be in there before the end of December, drying the property. We want to strip out affected materials where necessary. We want to heat the property to a certain extent, and we want to begin the process of reinstating it. What happens sometimes is we don't see these properties until sometimes months later, and the, the damage multiplies significantly. We're talking maybe like a fifteen, twenty thousand pounds UK loss could turn into a as no exaggeration, ten times as much if we don't get in there quickly. And it's always a question of, you know, who, what, when. Who who needs to identify that? Who do they need to tell? And, and you know, when do they tell it? And the quicker these things happen the better. All the way through any life cycle of any escape of water claim there is opportunities for claims to slip, whether the trades don't turn up, whether access isn't granted, whether something isn't dried properly, whether something has to be redone. There's, there's, there's so many steps in the chain, milestones in the journey, where the claim can go wrong, and it can extend both the duration of the claim and the cost of the claim. So it's really a question of Everybody being clear of their duties, the, you know, the, the clients, the insurers, the loss adjusters, all being clear of their duties, who does what and when. And I think that's really, really important in this. You know, the, 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 it's, it's, it's absolutely you know, sort of heartbreaking to see people out their properties and out their properties for longer than they need to be because of you know, what are unmanageable communication issues. And, and it usually does come down to communication poor communication between the housing association and family, poor communication between the insurers and the loss adjusters. There's, there's loads of different reasons why these claims go on further than they should. But that's our job in working with our clients to to to, you know, to improve that. The other thing that sort of leads into that is you know, general risk improvements. Talk about leak bots, which is a fairly new technology. It's not really taken on that much. But the idea there is that you might have a pipe which in a, in a normal household, would would only run water for you know you might be filling the kettle. You, the biggest thing you might be doing on a daily basis is having a shower or having a bath. <clears throat> what these uh, leak bots, as they're called, they monitor the flow of water. And if the water flows for longer than it should, then they shut the water off automatically. And this potentially can stop a uh, larger larger scale claims from occurring. So you think about it. If you get a burst 
pipe, a, a fractured pipe in a, in a loft space of a, of a property, it can run literally for days if no one identifies it and no one calls it in. Whereas these things, if they see water running for, for longer than it should, maybe 20 minutes, 15 minutes, they'll automatically cap off the water and stop that additional damage. Other things like one of our clients um, might ask us to look at resilience, which is the idea of putting materials back in a more resilient format. So it might be that you you know, you move, you, you change the plastic, plaster uh, finish on the, on the walls from, from plaster boards, which doesn't really react to water that well, to a sort of harder finish, which can just be dried if the, if the property gets wet. Other things like electrics. In terms of where electrics are placed, it can make a big difference in terms of what you need to strip out. So there's ways of building properties or reinstating properties that actually limit uh, the potential for future future damage. And I think that's a, a very important issue going forward, especially with you know huge environmental concerns going forward. Everyone's going to be measured on their environmental footprint going forward. And I think the you know the idea there is that if we can limit the amount of strip out that needs to be undertaken. Uh, sometimes properties are stripped out to ceiling height when they don't need to be. So what what we do in the UK with our, our resilience offering is we, we we try and take a step back and say, look, does this necessarily all have to be stripped out? Can we save any of these materials? It works two ways. It, you know, it, it shortens the reinstatement, but it also, if you look at filling skips full of waste, which is going to landfill, nobody wants that. And if it can be if it can be avoided, then that's in everyone's interest. So that's some of the stuff that we're we're trying to do and working with our, our partner clients to mitigate these losses and, and stop the severity of them when they do occur. Well, I think before we go, you guys have uh, both given lots of great information. There's lots to know, lots to follow up on. And certainly at Sedgwick with our expertise and a strong team of uh you know, colleagues out there to help. Uh, how, if if people want to know more, need to reach out. Uh, would you both mind uh, providing uh, the best course of action for for someone to uh, to seek help? Yeah, sure. From my perspective, just reach out to me. Uh, you'll be able to get me on LinkedIn, or if you're already in communication with me anyway, just reach out to me, uh, and we can have a conversation. We work with most of the major insurers and brokers that deal with this kind of cover uh, for housing associations and local authorities. In fact, we deal with all of them. So we can arrange uh, a gathering to talk this through. Uh, But I just want to stress again, just keep looking at your own claims experience each month, each week. Uh, And if you do that, you'll find the trends pretty much straight away. And that'll probably be a good time to reach out to us also. Yeah, I was just, I was just uh, back up Adrian and everything you said there. But we're happy to speak to, to any of our clients about any concerns they, they might have about their maintenance regimes or about how much they're paying for particular trades or particular um, you know, materials. We, we do a, a monthly report on building costs, materials and, and trades and we benchmark ourselves against the, the UK market. So if anybody wants to check what they're spending on particular trades or what they think something should cost, then yeah, feel free to, to reach out to myself or 
What do you do? Well, thank you both again for your time and your expertise. Uh, we'll have all the pertinent information also in our podcast uh, description that you're wherever you're finding your podcast at. And uh, so thanks, everyone, for listening today. And until next time, have a great week.